You're listening to the Enneagram and Marriage Podcast. I'm your host, Krista Harden, and I'm so glad you showed up for our relationship chat today, as well as for you and your people. We're all about living intentionally here so you can experience joy and balance in your relationships once again or for the very first time. Be sure you hang with us on our social media platforms, and if you like research like I do, make sure you check out our website at enneagramandmarriage.com for our weekly newsletter, freebies, and so much more, as well as at Instagram and Facebook. We have so many goodies to share with you. Let's dive right in together. Hi, guys. Today, I am so happy we have a fun topic together. I didn't sign up for this with Dr. Tracy Daglish. You know I love joy. You know that's what the Enneagram in Marriage is all about, is finding that joy and remembering how precious and brief life is and truly making the most of our times together. And I am joined by an excellent psychologist and friend, Dr. Tracy, who is somebody I met through Instagram years ago, and we've actually been trying to make this interview happen literally for years. So here we are. We get to talk about this as clinicians, as individuals who truly have our own marriage stuff to work through, but also uh, through our investigation with couples, she's also been able to write a book and to walk through how to work through negative chaining, negative interactions, negative patterns, conflicts. So we are all about it today to just hopefully by the time you exit this episode, you are going to be on your way to positivity together, but also don't forget that logic and care. So we will cover all three so you get to to talk out your issues, but also help you to regulate. We know the holidays are coming. And so we are just offering you our books, our tools, our training, and most of all, I hope a sweet conversation to saturate you with exactly what you need this holiday or whenever you're listening about how to reduce these negative conflict patterns in your life. And also, like I said, who couldn't love the name actually of Dr. Tracy's new book? I didn't sign up for this because this is how it feels sometimes when you get through the honeymoon season of marriage. So if you're a newlywed, you probably can't relate yet to this that much. But when you walk through miles and miles and miles of stuff with people, some of it good, some of it really hard and murky, you need encouragement encouragement from others who have been there and most of all who have learned from being there. So that's what we want to offer you today. And I'm so excited we get to chat with Dr. Tracy. You're going to make sure to grab her book in the show notes. Tracy's a renowned psychotherapist, psychologist. She is one of, like I said, out of all the Instagram uh, accounts I recommend, this is one of those few that you should mark as a favorite because it's that detailed. And the way that she literally acts things out with her husband and shows us how to do something simple and in a clarified way as an Enneagram one. Ah, so good. And just what we need when we're walking through these miles together. So I'm excited to bring you joy with her and these interactions and just keep that in mind as well as if you're looking for more community, we'll be starting to open up our Enneagram and Marriage collective community again soon. So stay in touch for that. We really look forward to inviting new members in just a few select times of year so that we can focus. So that will be coming up soon. So if you need more time with a monthly meeting group, you stay tuned for that too. But right now, let's talk to Dr. Tracy. Dr. Tracy, thank you so much for joining us on the E&M pod today. 
Thank you so much, Krista. I am beyond thrilled to be sitting with you here today and having this conversation. And we were just speaking about how this is a much overdue conversation for both of us. So <laughs> I am thrilled to finally actually be here. Oh my gosh, me too. And we both had books come out at about the same time. And it was so fun to get to know you as a couples therapist. You're in Ottawa, Canada. Tell us about yourself. I can't wait to dig in. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, my story, I think, is always the I'm I'm a psychologist and I'm a business owner. I own my mental health clinic here in Ottawa called Integrated Wellness. And I also own Be Connected Digital, which is an online space for people to learn how to build healthy relationships. You can learn from the comfort of your own home, which is so meaningful to me to be able to reach people in that way. And then I like to say that the, I, I used to think the hardest thing I would do would be to complete my PhD, mm-hmm. to be in my one bedroom apartment, rolling mm-hmm. from my bed to my desk and thinking and writing and researching the same thing over and over again. Yeah. And truthfully, I wasn't prepared for just how hard motherhood would be mm-hmm. yeah. and how much it would rock not only my own identity, but also my marriage. Mm-hmm. And despite being a couples therapist and knowing from the front of my brain mm-hmm. all of the ways of communicating the negative patterns that couples get stuck in our attachment needs and longings when you're in the thick of it um mm-hmm. the reality is i've i've been a human a lot longer than i've been a therapist and so we struggled we really did as mm-hmm. most people do we know that that more than 67% of people yeah. will experience a significant decline in their relationship satisfaction in that first year after having a child mm, yes and what a an important i love this about your book that you are sharing in the, in your Instagram platform. And even just right now that you're in it too, even though you're a therapist and you thought that would be the hardest thing. You're like being a mom rocked my world. It rocked our marriage, even as a couples therapist with all the tools. So it's such a treat for everybody to, we're all on the same page as we get to learn from you today because we've all been there. So tell us a little bit about how you met your hubby and maybe even a bit about your Enneagram types, if you know them. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. We uh, actually met, is it 16 years ago, just recently as we're recording this and it was a chance meeting and I didn't know my world would be turned upside down that night. My, My girlfriend and I, we met the PhD program. It was my first year here in Ottawa. I was freshly 22 years old and really homesick for being able to easily see my family. We were an hour away before versus now I was five plus hours away. And, you know, the 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 jumping into the PhD program was difficult. And so mm. my girlfriend and I found a beautiful bond together over psychology, over yeah. watching Grey's Anatomy back in 2006. Wow. And so one night we go out, we have a few drinks and then we call it a night and I get a ding. And you know this from the story in the book, but I get a ding on my MSN messenger back then. Yeah. And she says, my roommates want us want me to meet them out. Will you come with me? And so I say, okay. And my husband happened to be visiting his brother who was friends with my friend's roommate. And so we connected in the bar here one night and little did I know he um, would one day be my husband. So he, he wowed me with conversation. Like one, he was living in Calgary at the time. So across the country from where Mm -hmm. I am, 
And he said things like, one day I plan to get married in the Rocky Mountains. I had never been to the Rocky Mountains. Oh. Um, it was a magical first meeting. And so we, we had an on and off. He asked the, the funny thing, Krista, is he asked for my phone number that night. And I said, I don't do the phone, but here's my email. Oh, and I like so your boundary. We, we exchanged emails back and forth. <laughs> and then about seven months later, he invited me out to visit him in Calgary. And... From from there, I mean, I think the first time I sat with him, I thought this, you know, this is my husband. I This is, oh. yeah. So it was really interesting to form this emotional bond before actually having spent more time together. And then the other pieces clicked in. Oh, that's beautiful. And we love the you've got mail trope over here. <laughs> this is so cute. So listen, everybody, this is so healthy that I know you said you've had to grow over the years, but I love that about your book. I love that you're so honest, like, hey, this is how it happened. And and I love yeah. that you had that safety and comfort and his charisma, uh, that sexual instinct vibe of like, hey, like, let me get your number. And here's what I dream for my wife. Like, these are important parts of flagging somebody for a relationship. So I love that he was extroverted. And I love that you you had some polarity with that. Um, tell us about your Enneagram types. Now I'm mm-hmm. really curious. I am a one. I am a one through and through. I am so much a one, Krista, that when it came up, I said, well, that's not a good one. I better take the quiz again. That's not the perfect one. <laughs> I'm pretty so sure I'm the caregiver. Oh my gosh, that is so cute. And I knew you were a one, but you really do exude it. And it's so funny in the best of ways that you're like, but I needed it to be better. <laughs> so that's funny. And, and you know, it's it's interesting too, as I've continued to hang on to and embrace that perfect part of myself that I used to walk around with this internal narrative that said, stop being perfect, stop trying to do this. And that wasn't really working for me. And instead being able to sit beside this perfect part of me, mm-hmm. the part of me that likes to say not enough mm-hmm. and me being able to welcome her in and yeah. say, I see you're here. And mm-hmm. I know that what you're doing is you're telling me that this is something that I'm working on that is so important right now. Yeah. And I am doing enough and I am mm-hmm. enough. And and being able to use that as more of a strength rather mm-hmm. than seeing it as a weakness, which mm-hmm. of course, you know, ones receive that message throughout their life. Stop being perfect. Stop yeah. stressing yourself out over trying to be the best. And yeah. that I think really misses what it's like to be a one. Yeah, you really named that well. And we've talked a bit about on this podcast, the internal family systems work you can do with Enneagram. And I just love how you invited our ones listening and all of our listeners into this space of compassionate inquiry, even within ourselves. That is absolutely beautiful. And you named something that I don't think a lot of people realize who are ones. And that is that that part of you is trying to help you and assist you. And so to be abusive toward it and just shove it away, just doesn't work. Not at all. No. And writing my book, it was actually such, and perhaps you can relate to this, how unraveling it is to write mm. a book oh my where it feels like in the years, you know, you, you and I both have had years of training and the years of work that we've been doing. And, and that is a constant unfolding and unlayering in ourselves mm. as we show up with our clients. Right. I, I had thought, I had done a lot of this work already through my own therapy, through my own growth and development. And then sitting down to write my book was this whole new level of, wow, 
you're really mm. here. This is such a big part of you still. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that vulnerability. I think that when we have this fast moving one side, many of our listeners do, even if it's a wing or an arrow or some of our other more assertive types out there, you're right. When we finally stop, we have to come to terms with what's going on under the surface and writing a book brings all the inner critic right up. And so mm-hmm. just coming alongside her and saying, oh my gosh, like this is an exciting moment and let me self-soothe and let me appreciate how important this work is versus like, oh my gosh, don't even write because it's going to be terrible. And I love the whole concept of shitty first drafts that we've heard of as well in writing circles. And so I think that it's nice to be able to say, I see you, but I'll come back to edit later too. <laughs> so, so that's And even the, the idea around the enoughness with this as well, I think that fits in with the one is the enoughness of, I used to write, I, I can remember finishing the first draft and knowing it wasn't going to be perfect and then going through it and- my editor at one point had said, you don't get to put everything in your first book. So mm-hmm. I'm going to tell you, don't try to put all of it in there because I, I would walk away thinking, ah, this concept, or she would want to edit out a, yeah. a section that wasn't necessarily mm-hmm. needed to lead the stories forward. For those listening, my book is 4K stories of couples who have shown up in my therapy room and it reads like a fiction book, but it's nonfiction. That's so and it's part self-help. Um, but oh. when she would cut out a concept, it was that very much like, it's not enough. And yeah. so Krista, my husband is a nine. Hey, okay. I wondered. I love that. It's a very common pairing, one and nine. Maybe the most common pairing. Really? I didn't know nine. that. Yes. And I think it's great because you are two justice types who have a vision for what's right. And often when that's found in like a, the same family, it can be uh, a bit uh, disarming because we might not have the same justice pieces, but when we meet one another and choose one another as spouses, there's often such an alignment, obviously not every little thing, but the alignment is there. So it makes for a very powerful couple and no wonder you've done all this. And I love your reels with him. They're awesome. Uh, and so he's the peacemaker to your, uh, improver. How Mm. does that show up for you guys? Uh, when you're feeling like you're at a good pace, yeah, he, he, I think in, when we're at a good pace, he encourages me to get over the perfect parts. Mm. Um, he encourages me to go and do the thing and say what I have to say. Yeah. So I, I think he's a real cheerleader for that part of me that needs mm. that. Or if I have made a mistake and Krista throughout the book writing process, because the admin load just felt so heavy, mm. there were some admit mistakes that I made that I don't normally make. And that one part of me would show Mm -hmm. up. And he has been that solid rock throughout our relationship to say, Tracy, Mm -hmm. you're allowed to make mistakes. This is Mm -hmm. how you learn. This Mm -hmm. is how you grow. And that was something that I really needed Mm -hmm. in that space. Um, I think the role I play sometimes is to keep him moving beside me. Yes. Are, are nines known oh. to be the sloth? 
Yes. And so when you use the word, uh, you know, you just gave me this visual of him being stable and strong. And I thought, absolutely, because nines are very powerful, maybe the most powerful of all the types because they have the potential of all the types in them. They merge with each type. They can relate to each type. So but what people don't always realize is when you're married to a nine, moving somebody who's powerful is it's a it's could be a dead weight if they're not willing to be moved. Um, And they can even be more powerful in that, that they're like, I'm not moving. I'm chuckling because, you know, he'll, he'll want us to get rid of things in the house. And we, we both enjoy a minimalist ha- home. And of course, with two kids, that can be challenging at times. And yeah. sometimes I'll, I'll be ready to get rid of something. He's like, are you sure? And so it's that like sturdiness. And it's, but why are you preventing me from living this? <laughs> So it's funny. <laughs> that is funny. They don't want to move or have their things be moved. And I actually did that with a one nine couple in session yesterday where the nine didn't want something moved. And my own nine daughter does that. So oh. we're familiar with the comfort of what nines need their comforts. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're both five senses types. So it's fascinating. And we'll send you our one nine pairing guide. Cause like I said, I was so curious about his type and I knew yours, but we want to dig into the work you're doing. So our listeners can really uh, connect with their pain points. And one of my favorite things about you is that you are here for the long haul with us. You help us to be able to walk through what we could do better as a one. You're not content to say, let's allow for complete, uh, just, you know, basic care of a marriage. You're hoping that we can still really shoot for the moon together at times, even in these phases of, uh, you know, after the honeymoon year. So tell us, uh, what negative cycles and what are the sort of some long haul features that you feel like a couple needs to keep their eye on? Mm, absolutely. And that really is what you're alluding to. There is the patterns that we get stuck in. Yes. And I, I think first for listeners to understand that we all go through seasons in our relationships and unfortunately, social media, our books, the movies, we don't get to see the seasons in a long-term relationship. And Mm -hmm. so oftentimes what is happening in that honeymoon limerent stage is not what's going to happen in your relationship 15 years down the road, Mm -hmm. when you have children, when you have more stressors in your life or other big changes are showing Mm -hmm. up. And so the first thing I always encourage people to understand is your relationship is going to go through those seasons. And one of the most powerful things that we can do in our relationship is to not lose that we part, mm. the we-ness. And my husband and I had this conversation the other day, and it was around just how difficult it is to parent a six and an eight-year-old mm. and how hands-on it is and how in some ways we thought perhaps we would have more time as a couple to step away. And we are a family who lives in a city without our families here. Mm. And so finding that village, finding the consistent babysitter so we can have regular enough. We thought in this conversation, feeling the weeness of it. And so while we're not having every other week date nights and while grandparents are not taking our kids once or twice a week, we can say we are in this together. And that's really Mm. where we want to be aligning with our partner. And that's that position of stepping out of you versus me Mm. and viewing the other person as the problem. Mm. And so then what then tends to happen in a relationship is we get into these negative repeating cycles and we can actually look at them as even happening in the early days of our relationships. Mm. 
And those cycles become more entrenched. They get exacerbated Mm -hmm. as stressors increase and as time goes on. Mm. And those negative cycles are self-reinforcing and they are filled with negative emotions like frustration, resentment, anger, Mm. and continuously you see people not meeting each other's needs. And the needs are not, I need you to help in the house. That can sometimes be part of it. But the core needs are what's underneath the anger and the frustration, which is often, am I important? Mm. Do I matter to you? Do you want to connect with me? Am I enough for you? Am I adequate in this relationship? Mm. Yeah. Wow. You really named it that oftentimes these surface level requests have something more meaningful below and it can go right into our attachment work. And I'm just thinking about how many couples in that moment don't show up gracefully because there's a significant amount of desperation sometimes when we're asking these life questions. So what do you do when you're in that stage where you're like, okay, we're not getting our saturation that we were at one point, or even if we're early marriage and we're already having some of these negative cycles, what do you recommend to people when these uh, red flags are going up about the relationship and they're wondering, are they loved? Mm. Well, what we don't want to do and what we tend to do is we point outwards. And so Mm. we go to the other person and say, if you were different, if you just, if you showed me more Mm -hmm. and anytime we go to the other person focusing on you, we naturally pull up their defenses because they feel under attack. And so that is even just that one step into what that cycle then starts or how rather that cycle starts to get activated, Mm. which is criticism and blame coming to their person saying that they're the problem in some way. Mm. And Krista, you know, I think one of the biggest questions I always get in my community is how, or what do I do when my partner doesn't want to change? Mm. And for so many, this is especially for women, and we know that women are the consumers often of podcasts, certainly of my podcast, of books, of social media posts, is that we are ahead of our partner. So if we think of even putting our hands together, women then in a heterosexual relationship specifically, we're moving further ahead or growing faster than our partners. Mm-hmm. And we're saying, I'm aware of all of these things and they're not meeting me there. I want them to be different. Mm-hmm. And so we keep looking for them to change rather than the first step that we need to do is to start looking at how we're, we are engaging with them. How do we reach for that love and connection? How do we build that connection? And Mm. then also if our partners do get defensive, how then do we respond in those moments? Mm. Yes. Oh, that is so good. So you've already reminded us, A, you're not alone. B, using we language helps so that you can look Mm. at the meta narrative as, you know, it's us, it's us, baby. Like we've got this, we can do this. This is a stage of life and a season, but you're also adding here to say, you know, what we can do is look at our own contribution. And I love how in your book, uh, these four situations, it's not Enneagram specific, but you're you're sharing from different people's stories to show A, the thread that we're all having something in common, but B, I also feel like you give us some options to see where we might fit knowing it's so comfortable to know like, hey, maybe hard, but at least I'm not the only one walking through this. Yes. 
Yeah, absolutely. And then to also remember too, that when you feel that negative cycle coming up, when you feel like you're getting stuck, you're spinning around. Uh, for many people, it feels like I'm upping the ante or I'm you know, not getting anywhere. We started by talking about the kids and now we've gone to all the way talking about how they didn't pick up something or whatever that... The, the best thing you can do in that moment is to stop the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of what happens in our bodies can be really helpful in this moment, recognizing mm -hmm. that when you become overwhelmed and mm -hmm. dysregulated in your body, that's what happens when we're arguing in those moments mm -hmm. is that we need to stop because once we come to that dysregulated place, nobody is able to go from thinking clearly to finding a solution. I also tell people to shift into physical connection, mm -hmm. especially if people have been feeling further apart for some time. What we tend to do is we go into these difficult conversations with more words and mm -hmm. words can sometimes get twisted. We start to spin mm -hmm. and we, um, we, we stop being able to, to feel safe with each other when we continue mm. to do that. And so mm -hmm. physical connection is, is not about sex. It's not about you needing to go and give your partner a hug. That would be a nice thing. But the, the rituals of, are we connecting in some way? Do we go for walks and hold hands? Can we go for that 30 second hug knowing that that amount of time releases oxytocin, which is the bonding hormone. It helps us to feel safe and close with each other. Mm -hmm. You know, can we go in for that six second kiss or, or to even do something side by side so that you're bridging this emotional disconnection with mm -hmm. some sense of physical safety mm -hmm. and that physical safety then says to each other, we are going to be safe together. Mm. we can be safe beside each other. And if we feel this greater sense of safety, can we then start to have some of those conversations? Mm. Yes. So you're uh, helping everyone to know there's a baseline of safety that we must have before we start moving up that ladder of that ideal that mm. I think it's so cool for me to see this too, as a one that you know that because you and I are both idealists as the one, seven, fours tend to lean that way. And that's why we're in this field is we can help people move up that ladder, but you have to have that baseline if you're going to do that. Um, so I love that you're saying, come back to safety by regulating yourselves by uh -huh. stopping. And I love that you bring the physicality into brilliant and you remind us of the oxytocin studies. And you remind us that nonverbals account for so many of uh, our safety notations. So thank yeah. you. That is huge. I was going to ask you also, what is a step we can do if we're like, okay, I want to do that. And um, I want to build a new system. Do you have, and this probably goes into your book, but what can you help us to understand or reference us to when we're wanting to build that new system into place about conflict? Mm. I think this is around building regular touch points in a relationship. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. one of my top downloaded free guides on my site is the 100 questions to deepen your connection. I absolutely love this guide. Mm -hmm. And my husband and I took it on a date night, tested it as well. We got through three questions, but it was such a beautiful way to build emotional connection outside of talking about 
um, you know, you left the bath toys in the tub last night and didn't yeah. finish doing bath time with the kids or, and then you didn't call your mother about planning holidays and, 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 right. It, it's, it can easily become all of the, the laundry list touch points mm. that don't deepen our connection. No. Right. So truly, I think people, and one of the biggest things, Krista, that's come up in my community, which has been something I've talked about for years, is about feeling like roommates. Mm. And I think this is something that is really taking over mm. our relationships. And of course, as I'm sitting with here with you here, I'm glancing over at my phone because it is always in reach. And this is what we experience at home. Oh my gosh, more than roommates has something to do with this phone. And we see studies that tell us when the phone is in another room, we do better. And so that mm -hmm. is a great reminder of what we need to do baseline in terms of building the systems. I love that you have your freebie. I didn't know about that one in particular. Yes. So we'll reference that in the show notes, you guys, so you can grab that. And then also, like you said, being mindful of this is not a roommate situation. <laughs> you mm -hmm. have to come into that sexual energy, just like, uh, even if it's not direct, like you said, sexual contact, we talk a lot about the instincts here. And so that really does just like your husband, when he was pursuing you, we have to look at how are we attracting one another? So such a key point. And you're right. It's intimacy. Um, what about when we're in that moment? And I feel like this is, I mean, so many things are in your book. So just make sure you guys get that. But one of the things I love best about your Instagram is you understand that in order to do all of this, we have to be self-soothed. We can't just go at it. Um, and so part of that's putting the cell phone away, stopping, walking. What would you say are um, one or two more ways when we're trying to self-soothe and our resentment is still fairly high or we're still a bit agitated? Mm -hmm. Depersonalizing. So that mm -hmm. the book I talk about how to build healthy interdependent relationships. We haven't used that, that word yet. Yes. So interdependence. Right. And that that is really about finding this balance between the tension of being an autonomous individual person mm -hmm. and then building that connection. So getting over the tension of what it means to be intimate and connected. Mm -hmm. So when we only focus on the self and we're in only in our autonomy and independence, that is a not, it's like, it's like being in a sandbox and saying, yeah, you can come play in my sandbox, but we're only playing with trucks here. Don't bring your shovels over. Nope. You can't bring your shovels. And, yeah. and that's not a relationship, right? A relationship is coexisting and co-creating filled with compromise mm. and collaboration and connection. Yeah. But at the same time, it's not a loss of self. And the analogy I like to use there is it's, it's like being in the sandbox and you say, I really like to play with trucks. So I'm going to mm -hmm. keep playing with my trucks here, but I would love for you to join me in the sandbox and bring your shovel and bucket and you can build that castle right there and I'll build the moat around it. And right, that's co-creation in our mm -hmm. relationship. In order to be able to do that, though. We have to do a key piece, which is we've already talked about that self-awareness piece. We also have to be able to do self-regulation, which is what you're asking. How do we do that? How do we actually practice acknowledging that I am a separate person than you? And it's okay if my thoughts, feelings, opinions, desires, and wishes are different than yours. Mm -hmm. And so one of the most powerful things we can do is anytime your partner does something, says something, or comes to you with a concern, you say to yourself inside, I'm okay. 
This isn't about me. They're having a concern and I can hear that, but it doesn't make me a bad, unworthy, unlovable Mm. partner. Mm. We are in this together. And and you just feel that sense of safety inside when Mm. you start from that place. And when you start from that place, then it also allows you to tap into some of the other key things that we need, which are, I talk about this in the book, curiosity, right? We lose that after the honeymoon stage. We tell ourselves that we know, you know, (laughs) I I knew you were going to say that, or I've already heard this story. And, Mm -hmm. you know, of course you left your socks on the floor, (laughs) but if we're curious that build, that helps us to build understanding and that helps us to build compassion in our partnerships Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. So to answer your question, depersonalization is a powerful one. And just this act of pausing and stepping Mm -hmm. back Greg, my husband, once said to me, he's like, what does that actually do? Mm. And I had said, it it is this sense of noticing if I'm tense in my jaw because you've come to me with this concern. It's this ability to pause and breathe and ground myself. And maybe in that moment, I'm deciding that I'm not going to say anything Mm -hmm. to counter argue or to bring in my side. But I say, thank you for bringing this to my attention. You know, I can see this is important to you. Let me think about this. There's something in there that allows you to then be in connection with your partner. Mm -hmm. Yes, you're right. You're really hitting that fight or flight in a way that's different and less defensive when you pause and you're just allowing that regulating breath to walk uh, you guys through this moment. And, and I love how you're saying we're co-creating, we're reaching for each other. We're taking a pause as needed and we're depersonalizing that we're different. And I love that because it's not that we're too different for each other. It's just that we challenge each other. We make each other grow. And I love that too, because I'm thinking of when my grandmother was ancient and God bless her soul, uh, you know, but she would always tell that same story. And I think that when we do allow our spouse's influence in, we're much less likely to keep telling the same story. We're much more likely to have neurogenesis. It's just, you're giving us the tools for how to do that because it takes a lot of brave work. And I love that you and your husband are both the body types because you can invite us into the body space. So what do you really, uh, you know, before we close, what's something that you love to tell people to do as far as like a regulating breath? Is there a certain practice you like? There's two. One is squeezing. So more of a PMR, progressive muscular relaxation type Mm. exercise, which is squeeze your fists together and hold them for a few minutes. So squeeze, 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 and then hold, hold, Mm. squeeze, and then release. And when you release, you notice the difference between tensing and releasing. So you do that just a few times. You squeeze and you hold, 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 and then you release. So that's with Mm -hmm. your fists. You can do it with other body parts, but the fist can sometimes be an easier one to do. And then the other one is pushing your feet into the ground and sending your focus actually to different parts of your feet so that you, as, as you're listening, if you're on your walk or if you're sitting, shift your focus to feeling what does your toe feel if it's in a shoe or a sock can you actually notice what's happening there if you're sitting can you push it down if you're walking can you intentionally notice the the heel toe heel toe back Mm -hmm. and forth and that is you becoming grounded in your body because sometimes when we say, okay, take a breath, it can feel really hard to take mm. that slow, intentional breath. Yeah. But when we, when we can go and focus on a body part, mm. it can feel a little bit different. 
Oh, thank you for giving us some other options for that and for acknowledging that sometimes that breath is too shallow to really do any good. And so you're like the grounding. And then I also like uh, what we're doing here with our hands. This really brings some mobility everywhere. And it gives us that distraction uh, from the the angst or the worry that we might be having this anxious, you know, anxious attachment style leaning in. I think women have that more. Um, and just to be able to pause, of course, some men as well, but um, I feel like with a lot of the the male clients, I see there's a tendency towards um you know, not being able to stay because they can't manage the anger rising up. And that absolutely happens with women in the anger triad too. But it's nice for you to give us options for whether we're anxious or angry. And also when we're feeling shame and sadness, because you're right, it just grounds us even in that as well, right? There's something so important for us to recognize about shame. And shame, if we don't label it, breaks the connection between you and the other person. Mm. And I, I can remember expressing it in in this way between a, a, a dyad in the sense of when I come to you and I tell you I need help, I'm not saying that you're not good enough. Mm. Because sometimes partner, part, she, uh, let's use the heterosexual, for example, but she goes and says, I'm so exhausted and overwhelmed. I need help. And he replies with, so you say I'm never doing enough. Yeah. And underneath that is shame. And when mm-hmm. we come from that place, it disconnects us. It's almost like I'm rolling out of the connection mm-hmm. rather than being able to say, okay, tell me more about that. Mm-hmm. And if it's hard for us to experience that, we want to shut down or we want to get defensive and angry, going into our body and pushing into the ground or squeezing our fists can be a really helpful strategy. Mm, thank you. And that brings us right back to connection, which I know everyone here wants so much. Your book has this and many more tools and your Instagram and your pod. So tell us where we can find you and your beautiful uh, outreach here. Thank you, Krista. The best place for those listening is to come say hello to me on Instagram. It's at Dr. Tracy D. That's mm-hmm. my main place to hang out. I love when listeners mm-hmm. come and say, this is what stood out for me. I needed to hear this. So please do let me know. Mm-hmm. And if you're looking for my book and more resources, that's on my website. It's drtracyd.com. Awesome. We are so grateful. You guys, her Instagram is one of my top favorites. It is you and your husband do a great job. You thank also you. do. You're so grounding for me when I'm like being self-critical. So thank you so much. <laughs> thank you, Krista. Oh, I just love our conversation today. I, I feel like already I have so much to take home to share with Craig about his nine and my one. <laughs> so glad. Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Tracy, and make sure you get her book, everybody, and get to that Instagram. Oh, That was such a gift to get to talk to her and walk through this with her, especially I loved our conversation around interdependence so that we know our autonomy is important, but it is not everything. We really do have to lean in and we really do know how can we regulate when we're leaning in and we got these grounding tips today. So I have my fists ready. If you were watching on YouTube this whole time, I am doing these practices with her. I am grounding my feet in and taking that deep breath with you. So have a great week. I'll talk to you soon. Make sure you check out the show notes for Dr. Tracy's information. Bye-bye. Thank you again for listening with us. It was so wonderful to have you. I love knowing we're doing this journey together, not perfectly, but with love, grace, and hopefully some fun too. If you love today's episode, make sure you leave us a five-star review at Apple Podcast or Spotify so others can find it too. 
visit our show notes so you can get all the links from today's show as well as EnneagramandMarriage.com, the Instagram, the Facebook, and all over the place. Make sure you spread the word. Love living intentionally with you. Bye-bye.